come from the net? Blogs, websites, podcasts, to this place. The, the Mainframe Chronicle. Our format, podcasting. To analyze and discuss. To discuss the shows we love. Their strengths and flaws. We discuss them until our job day. Say the listener lives outside the net and listens to the podcast. No one knows for sure, but, but we intend to find out. Mainframe Chronicle. Hello, and welcome to the Mainframe Chronicle. This is a review podcast of the TV show Reboot. I am Daniel James, and I'm Joey Morris, and we are here to. You know, bring you this fantabulous podcast. So, Joey, why don't you, uh, why don't you give your geek cred, so to speak, to take a line from Geek Fights? <laughs> um, you know, there was a point in my life where I was trying to kind of hide 
my inner geekedness. And in the last couple of years, I've just decided to let it go and enjoy it. And with the internet and podcasts, there's so much information and so much good geek stuff out there that I don't know why you wouldn't consider yourself a geek. Um, I'm I'm a closet Trekkie, as I like to admit it. I, I watch that a lot, a lot, and half the podcasts that I listen to are review shows for the Trek shows, so that's kind of where the beginning of this uh, comes from. What about you, Dan? Well, as a kid, I grew up with, you know, the Ninja Turtles and G.I. Joe action figures. I watched a lot of Dragon Ball Z when that was on. Of course, yes. Uh, I in high school I got into Smallville, uh, you know the Superman in high school show. Um, I also was watching a lot of Lois and Clark, the Superman show of the early '90s when I was younger. Um, I never really I didn't get into comics or anything until just a few years ago in college. But then when I got into comics, I got into comics quickly and heavily and now i can go up against pretty much anybody in a comic conversation i'm not gonna you know beat out a ton of people but i can hold my own for sure but yeah i'd say i'm pretty much a a comic geek and a movie geek pretty much equally uh so just to clarify, Dan and I have been geeks before it was cool to go to the midnight showings with all the Avenger movies, okay? Now, don't get me wrong. I really appreciate that. I like the fact that Nerdcore is a little more mainstream and it's a little cooler, but we started it first. <laughs> yeah, we were definitely at the forefront of the geek outrage that is nowadays. Um. Dan, what kind of podcasts do you listen to? Well, I listen to a lot of, not a lot, I listen to a few of the Smodcast shows. Uh, Kevin Smith, he kind of started podcasting as a mainstream thing. Uh, I listen to quite a bit of his original podcast with him and Scott Moser just talking about everything, anything and everything under the sun. Uh, but my personal favorite from Smodcast is the Hollywood Babylon, the one that talks about movies and makes fun of all the celebrities and just the whole idea of being a celebrity. It's, it's pretty hilarious. Um, apart from that, my cleaner ones involve the Nerdist Writers panel, which talks about how to be a writer in the television industry, which is one of my professional goals. Um, and my other favorite, these two are both pre- presented by the Nerdist channel, which is the other spectrum of other end of the spectrum of podcasting from Smodcast, and it's the Thrilling Adventure Hour, which everyone should go check out. Yeah, Dan actually got me um, onto I don't know all of those podcasts except for the the Nerdist Writer panel. Um, I never thought that I would enjoy Hollywood Babylon as much as I do. When you're going to say that you're going to be talking about Hollywood news, I was I assumed it would be something like E Channel or whatever, but it is hilarious. And last week they didn't put up theirs on the right day, and I was 
very upset <laughs> because I was expecting it all day and it didn't come out. So I'm, I am also a huge fan of Hollywood Babylon. So how this podcast kind of came together was uh, Joey and I both spent a semester abroad in Australia last year and we ended up being roommates. So, you know, we met, we hung out quite a bit and we both enjoyed watching movies and TV shows. And I don't remember who brought it up. It was probably me as I was going through and watching Reboot again. I was like, hey, Joey, have you ever heard of the show Reboot? And he said, yes, yes, I have. <laughs> I was actually, um, I'm Canadian, which is a, the show is Canadian. And I actually watched it on the age that you're supposed to, you know, when you're like six to 10 to 12 ages, you know, and I haven't even thought about the show before um, Dan brought it up. So that was really cool. Yeah, so um, unlike Joey, I didn't really watch this as much as a kid. I think I remember my brother was kind of into it, and so I watched it with him a few times. But, you know, I was, you know, six or eight and don't really remember anything from it, except that looking back, it seemed like a cool idea for a show. So I went out and I, I got the definitive collection, and then I watched through it all and was like, this is awesome. And then this was about the same time I was getting into podcasts and thought, you know, it'd be really cool if I did a podcast about this. And Joey was one of the few other people I've met that has actually heard of the show, and he seemed to like it as much as I did, so it seemed like a match made in heaven. And, you know, and I decided a long time ago, not a long time ago, but uh, I decided that if I'm going to watch an episode, you know, th through beginning to end of a show... I'm going to listen to some podcast for it because as far as I know, every show that I watch right now has some kind of episode review and it is a great supplement to watching a show. So we had to fill that gap for reboot. For sure. So anyways, before we get into everything, we would like to say that, you know, spoiler warning, granted this show is 15 plus years old. But still, uh, we figure that there's probably some people out there who might want to be watching this show through while listening to this podcast. Uh, we'll do our best to not spoil anything before the show happens, or before it happens in the show. However, this is a review podcast, so we will be reviewing things, so it will be spoiled for you eventually. Yeah, I mean, if you really think about how podcasts come together, we would have to spend so much time and effort tiptoeing over everything, and it wouldn't be a really good in-depth discussion. Like Dan said, we're not going to go into stuff. We're not going to go out of our way to talk about plot points in the future, but if it comes up occasionally, it's going to happen. So beware. And that is your entire warning for the entire series of podcasts. Now, on to the show itself. I see. There is an old readme file that says you should keep your friends close and your enemies even closer. Alrighty. Episode number one, The Tearing. It aired September 10th, 1994. This episode was written by Mark Hoffmeyer and the story was by Lane Reichert and Mark Hoffmeyer. The episode starts and Hack and Slash are chasing Bob around mainframe on ABCs. 
Bob traps the two henchbots as they both come at him from different directions, forcing them to collide. Megabyte uses this opportunity to vid-window Bob, asking for a simple favor. When Bob brushes him off, Megabyte mentions that he might have something sinister planned for Bob's friends if Bob does not cooperate. The next morning, as Bob is just just finishing a shower, Enzo contacts him via vid window, saying Dot's diner has been trashed by Hack and Slash. Concerned, Bob hops on a zip board and heads towards the diner, where Enzo gives him the lowdown. Apparently, Hack and Slash came by the diner and just started trashing it. Bob tells Dot what Megabyte asked of him, but Dot insists that Bob continue to refuse Megabyte his favor. Another vid window opens, displaying Megabyte. He snidely asks if he can help with cleanup, then reminds Bob of his ultimatum. At that moment, the system voice announces an incoming GameCube. Megabyte takes this as another advantage and blocks Bob from entering the game. Bob is forced to watch the cube from the outside, hoping they can win without him. Unfortunately, the system voice announces, game over. User wins. The cube nullifies the sector and lifts off. Bob must think of a way to reason with Megabyte. At Dot's suggestion, Bob goes to see Fong at the principal office. First, he must beat him at a game of Pong before asking him what he should do about Megabyte's favor. Fong warns Bob that Megabyte cannot be trusted and advises Bob against going to the Silicon Tour alone. Bob placates Fong by telling him he'll go talk to the others, but secretly feels that he can handle the situation alone. Once Bob arrives at the tour, he is greeted by Megabyte, and then taken down to the basement where he is shown an unstable tear. Megabyte wants Bob to form it into a portal to the supercomputer. Bob has no choice, transform the tear into the portal, and is forcibly sent through and brought back by Megabyte. Dot is brought into the room by Hack and Slash, and Bob uses this time this gives him to release the tear again. Bob and Dot attempt to escape. Megabyte bars their way, but not before a game begins to drop on the sector. The GameCube lands directly on the tour, and Bob and Dot are trapped inside with Megabyte. The game is a space race. Before Bob and Dot can reboot, Megabyte infects the user and heads towards the tear, knowing that the game energy will have converted it, converted it into a stable portal. Bob and Dot reboot and go through a few levels before they finally catch up with Megabyte. Bobby jacks himself out of his plane and lands in the portal himself to make the game leave and to prevent Megabyte from getting to the supercomputer. When the game leaves, Dot and Megabyte are still in the lower levels of the tour with the again unstable tear. Megabyte threatens Dot, but before he can do anything, the tear turns into a portal and Bob emerges, closing the portal behind him. A confused Megabyte asks where the portal went. Bob mentions having picked up some new commands at the supercomputer armory, and he and Dot disappear as well. Megabyte runs off to the diner to find them. This leaves Bob and Dot masked by hidden file commands, free to return to the diner, which has been trashed by Hack and Slash again. So, uh, first appearances for this first episode are, obviously, Bob and Hack and Slash and Megabyte, Enzo, Frisket, Cecil, Dot, Fong, and the ABCs, which are the armored binome carriers that Hack and Slash are riding. And Glitch. And Glitch. Oh, yes. How can I forget Glitch? Glitch is very important. So, Hack and Slash. Let's start with them. They were the first people that we really got to see. What are your thoughts? Hack and Slash. They could be two of the Three Stooges, but they're <laughs> evil henchmen. 
They are, and they're very typical evil henchmen, but they do have their defining characteristic where they talk over each other and you don't really understand what they're saying and they complete each other's sentence. I mean, it is, it is unique to their character, so I thought that was cool. It's hard to take dumb henchmen and make them unique. Right. It, it's just like any other cartoon back in those days, especially, where you know the bad guy always had a henchman or two that didn't know what they were doing and usually screwed up the plans of the evil mastermind. Of course. I love 90s TV. Yes. <laughs> um, Megabyte, what are your thoughts on him? Megabyte is awesome. He's, he's a great villain. Uh, he's kind of surrounded by idiots, so that kind of screws up his plans. He never really gets quite what he wants, but he keeps trying and keeps going and keeps going. Yeah, he's so overdramatic, and I, I love the dramatization of Megabyte. And his voice actor, his name is Tony J. He's somebody that you just you hear and you, can, you know his voice because it, it, it is that deep and it is that commanding and it is very distinct. So I thought it was a perfect fit as a character. And, you know, Megabyte goes over the top, which is, like I said, everything is overdramatic with him. Yes. He, but his voice is just, it's kind of got the same power that James Earl Jones has in, like, Star Wars yeah. or Lion King as Simba. Or not Simba, but Simba's dad. And it just, like, shakes you to the bone. Like, I, as a kid, I just, I, I, when I was thinking back, to reboot when you brought it up the first thing that popped in my vine was megabytes voice like i just i heard it 15 years after words very clearly in my mind so that was interesting and how that you know grows with you um what about guardian bob guardian bob the very stereotypical hero type the archetype of the main hero he uh i mean he's he's guardian bob he does what he does and he does it well and, you know, doesn't always plan things out. He just kind of goes for it and hopes for the best. And it usually works out, not always right away, but he usually manages to find a way through. Yeah, he, he he's very um, identifiable with the 90s culture. I mean, just look at his hair, very 90s. Um, yeah, very stereotypical. Like you said, he's an archetype. He's good for the show. I mean, he does what he needs to do. Uh, then, of course, we have Enzo, which is Dot's little brother. Enzo. Crazy, hyper, young boy. Uh, I remember in the um, commentary, they were talking about how one of the producers wanted, or didn't feel like the little boy fit in, but then the uh, other creators of the show were like, this show is aimed at kids. We kind of <laughs> need one in the show. And so that's how Enzo ended up staying there. I didn't know that. Yeah. That just popped back into my head for some reason. Um, but yeah, that that's Enzo. He's hyper, he's excited, and it really helps you know, kids get into the show when there's someone that is you in the show. Yeah, you can identify with him a little more. Um, one thing I didn't catch as much when I was younger that I did watching it now is he is such a good source of computer puns because he is so over-the-top hyper that he just spouts stuff off for 30 seconds. And 
you know, I'm trying to write things down that are funny and I just can't keep up with them <laughs> because he just shoots them off like a, you know, machine gun. Yeah. He's, he's so good at those. And, you know, you guys are going to find out that, this, that that's one of my favorite part of the shows is the computer puns, the jargon that they use. And Enzo is the master of using <laughs> those. He is. He absolutely is. So he's very good for that, and he has his own space there. So I don't know what that producer is talking yeah. about. Um, what about Dot? Dot is exactly what she needs to be. You know, the sort of pseudo-love interest that is also the voice of reason many times. Um, she's all-around good character she is and i love how again as as guardian bob is very uh specific to the 90s culture so is dot i mean she looks like demi moore for crying out loud she's got the whole uh ghost short haircut deal going on she's a tough 90s chick um and that's you know whole culture for women in the 90s they're trying to you know be separate from their male counterparts. So it was, she definitely fits into that. And then of course there's Fong. Fong, the wise old master. He's he's the one that they go to whenever they need some advice. And he's another pretty decent source of the uh, computer puns. Uh, Just a great wise old man. I kind of imagine Sean Connery playing Indiana Jones's dad whenever I see him. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> um I always kind of think of Master Splinter actually when I th- see Fong. A little but bit of that too. In, in, in the first episode, I mean, I I I don't I remember Fong being a lot better. So he gets incredible as the show goes forward. In the first episode, he's kind of um he just he, he, you haven't found his place yet, I think. But we'll get into that. But yeah, no, he is fantastic. And every show kind of needs a, a mentor, you know, the, the the guy that always has the right thing to say. For sure. So. Especially kids' shows. Right, right. It's very good. Um, oh, crap. What was, what was the guy's name on the Power Rangers? The floating head? Zordon. Zordon. I mean, that, that was his role, you know, to just pop in, know what to do, tell him what to do. So, I mean, that that's the kind of... You see that a lot in the in kids' shows, specifically in the nineties. Yeah, and uh, glitch. What are you? <laughs> how cool is glitch? I wish I had one, man. <laughs> like being in the Matrix, I, you can just do whatever the heck you want. There's no limits to this thing. I mean, <laughs> come on. So I think that's all the first appearances. Yeah, right? that's about it. All right. Um, Dan, do you want to get into what your thoughts were on this episode? This episode was great. Uh, excellent introduction to the world, to the characters. It set up, you know, what eventually became a four-season show. I wish it was more than that, but, you know, we kind of got to the age of everyone understands computers, and that's kind of what this world wasn't meant to do. So, yeah, this show was basically a computer animation test. And the reason that they set the series inside the computer is because they, you know, the lacking animation of a very first computer animation TV show. And 
at the time, no one really knew about computers and stuff. But nowadays, you know, this show wouldn't really work out because of the overabundant knowledge and ubiquitousness of computers. Yeah, I think the the people that were watching it in the 90s, you know, besides me who just thought it was, looked cool because it was computer animated, you know, were those kind of hardcore people that understood computers. And it was kind of their own little culture. So it was kind of what the Big Bang Theory is now to nerds. To This what this was then because it was their own little, but less mainstream right. than the Big Bang Theory. So it was kind of for them. Cool. And what were your thoughts on this episode? I, I thought it was really good. I mean, you got to see most of the main characters. There's going to be a couple other villains that come in the next couple episodes. But Megabyte is, I would say, the main villain and foil to Guardian Bob um, throughout, the, throughout the show. I did. I liked it. There's a lot of really funny puns that we'll get into later. Um, it starts off pretty cool. You, you, you see Guardy and Bob, you know, dodging and using the hoverboard, which is just phenomenal. And I want a hoverboard. I don't know when that's going to happen in technology, but I want one. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it, it's, it's great because you can see how computer animation has grown and how it's much better now. But to really look back and see the expressions on these faces of these characters and how much work, you know, the crew on this show must have done to produce this in 1994, you know, it, it's really kind of amazing. Yeah, it's really incredible to look back and see the primitive animation that this was and how uh, also during the commentary they mentioned that this this single episode went almost half a million dollars over budget because no one knew how much anything was going to cost on it. So I'm guessing then they figured it out and made it cheaper in the long run. But uh, I'm, like you said, it was an experiment. They didn't even know how to do it, what they were capable of. And I think what they achieved was phenomenal because you see the expression. Now, sometimes it's a, it's a little bit uh, reminiscent of like old like 1930s, 1940s, I wouldn't even say silent uh, movie acting because it's so expressive. Yeah. <laughs> but it really works, and I think it really acts to the charisma of the show. In this specific episode, in the beginning, we see Guardian Bob get up for the, uh, for the day, and he gets into a shower that is basically a big circle, and it just gets him ready without him doing anything, and I think that's fantastic and i want one of those as well yes totally it was it was fairly reminiscent of the jetsons when he gets up i didn't even think about that but yeah it was just a conveyor belt that went around it's very much like the jetsons yeah did you see uh, bob's hair yeah what was with that <laughs> i don't know bob bob gets up gets in the shower goes through the shower and uh gets out of the shower as a wind a vid window pops up with uh Enzo saying to come to the Dots place, and Bob has this, you know, little girl's hairstyle. He's got two little ponytails with ribbons, like pink or something. I do, and but nobody says anything about it. Enzo and didn't. Say it, it. it flashes there for maybe a second, and then it just goes away and never gets mentioned again. Which I think is so fantastic. <laughs> uh, one of the reasons I love this show. They they 
do anything. Anyways, uh, the game in this episode was a called Space Race, and you know it was just pretty reminiscent of Star Wars. Oh my goodness! Absolutely. First of all, they had that asteroid scene, you know, where they had to go through the asteroids, and it was so easy for Bob to shoot through the asteroid. I don't understand why they didn't just do that all the time, but um. And then they came to that giant ship that, you know, Megabyte had. And one thing I noticed right away is the targeting sensors on this ship were the worst things possible. I mean, they were shooting, I don't know, half a million lasers into space, and none of them hit any yeah. of the ship. It was kind of nuts. So, so, Dan, did you notice when um, Dot came to, you know, quote-unquote, wet rescue Bob, and she had that rally riot outside of megabytes um house there were the what are those little guys the the circle ones and the like street light looking guys what are they called the binomes are they are they all binomes or yeah okay yeah so they had like some of the binomes outside and they had like a picket you know picket signs did you see what the sign said no i wasn't paying attention to those they had two signs. One of them was smash the solid state, <laughs> which I thought was fantastic. And the second one, which I think is very um, highbrow almost, the proletariat want bread was there. <laughs> which, of course, the proletariat is a working class and is, is not relevant at all to the situation that's going on. But he's just picketing with this little sign. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Uh, one thing I really like about this show is it does not take itself too seriously. You know? Oh, for sure. <laughs> um, what was it? They were flying, and I think Guardian Bob was talking to you know his squad lead, you know, all of his entire squad of binomes, and he's like, okay, guys, stay frosty. And then Dot just gave him a look like that was the lamest thing that he's ever said, and he just kind of smirked. Yeah, funny you should mention uh, stay frosty, because that actually segues us nicely into our next segment. Uh, This is where we talk about different references that appear in the show, because if you've seen the show, there are a lot of different random references and little Easter eggs for the avid fans to find. Yes, and when they happen, they just crack you up, and you. I have to pause it, because... I'm missing part of the story because I'm just laughing so much about yep. some stupid throwaway comment, probably from Enzo. Yeah, they're usually pretty great. Um, like, in Bob's apartment, he has a picture of the supercomputer on his wall, and it says, home sweet home. Oh, I didn't even see that. Uh, when, he, when he wakes up, the alarm clock is 8.08, which, for you nerds out there, is Bob and Leet speak. Oh, it is. Huh. And, you know, Fong, when they first go to see Fong, whose name sounds a lot like Pong, he has to play Pong in order to beat him to get the information. Which, in all reality, I think is pretty lame that you have to beat him at a game of Pong before you are worthy enough to get his advice. That's <laughs> true, but, you know, it's still great that they're Pong. playing Pong, you know, the classic... Yeah. Or, no, you're right. Origin to video games. Uh, after Hack and Slash, you know, beat up uh, Dot's Diner, 
uh, Cecil, which is the waiter. We didn't talk about him. He's just a pretentious little French computer. Um, <laughs> that pretty much sums it up. We don't need to say anything else. <laughs> he's running around and he's like complaining because he has to clean up. And he's like, I'm not made for this. I'm a dedicated server, not a maid. Yeah. Which is hacked me up because he's the, you know, waiter server, you know. I thought that was great. Such a such a great one too. Dedicated server. You know, that it's one of those computer jargon that is just beautiful. Right. My personal right. favorite from this episode was Fong's advice. He says there's <laughs> an old readme file that says you yes. should keep your friends close and your enemies even closer. Which of course is a reference to Sun Tzu's The Art of War. Right, and, you know, just a readme, that was great. Um, you know, just just really throw away lines. Like, um, instead of throwing a dot in the dungeon or in prison, you know, Megabyte says, throw her in data storage, you know. Yeah. And um, uh, Bob uh, escapes Megabyte because he got a hidden file command which hides him you know just just stuff like that just cracks me up i would say my favorite is probably the i'm not a dedicated server but um there's a lot of good ones in this episode or you know what sure. i'm gonna go ahead and just say my favorite one is the proletariat want bread just <laughs> that makes no sense <laughs> yeah i mean they're they're in a computer what they don't eat bread that's ridiculous what do they eat at the diner anyway i don't even know i don't know <laughs> We'll get more on food as the series goes on, though, I'm that sure. True. That is true. Bob! <clears throat> Megabyte hit a delete command in the mask, just like you said. Only you didn't know because I should have copied and pasted the truth from the start. But will you ever forgive me for inputting you in so much... Enzo! Dot, Bob and I are sharing a camaraderie after the game. Again, we're, we're talking about racing the clock. The original air date was the 17th of September, 1994. This is the second episode of season one. It was written by Gavin Blair, John Grace, and the story is by Ian Pearson and Gavin Blair. So we'll jump right into our summary of the episode. In Don's Diner, several signs direct towards a certain diner booth in which Enzo is seated, adjusting vid windows. One of them reads, Enzo's overwrite delivery service. He's trying to start his own business so he can be just as cool as Dot. He gets a call from Megabyte asking him to deliver a certain package to Hexadecimal and Lost, An Lost Angles and is instructed by Megabyte not to tell Hex who sent it. No one is aware that Scuzzy is spying on the entire conversation. Enzo is so excited about his first order that he goes to tell Bob and Dot about it. He accidentally lets slip the deliveries to be made to Lost Angles, and Dot roped Bob into delivering the package instead, claiming that the job is too dangerous for Enzo. At Lost Angles, Hexadecimal is trying on masks when scuzzing enters. He reveals to her that Megabyte is having a bomb in a mask delivered to her. She plans to delete Megabyte and his delivery boy in return. However, as Bob goes to Lost Angles, Enzo follows him secretly, not wanting to be left out. Bob is chased by Nulls and gets sucked into Hexadecimal's lair, and Enzo's eavesdrops on their conversation. He finds out that Megabyte sent Hexadecimal a mask with a clock in it. Hexadecimal, claiming she already has one, forces Bob to return the mask to Megabyte, while airborne. Enzo remains to hear Hex reveal that she already knows that Megabyte put a time delete bomb in a mask and that Bob should reach the core when the clock reaches zero. Enzo, terrified, gets back to the diner as fast as he can to tell Dot everything. 
the two head to the tour on zip boards to warn Bob. Meanwhile, Bob is soaring through the air, but before he can reach the tour, the system announces an incoming game, and Bob heads towards it. As Bob and Enzo head toward the tour, they see Bob steering towards the game. Dot sees that their only option is to enter the game and warn Bob there. The game is a Formula One game, and when Bob reboots, the bomb mask becomes part of his car. Dot and Enzo have no interest in winning the game. They want only to warn Bob of his impending doom. Three levels into the game, they finally manage to do so, but the bomb explodes before anyone is able to do anything about it. Luckily, Bob was out of his vehicle at the time. Since tears can't form inside games, the explosion causes the infinite data out this loop, and the game cube gets sucked into itself. Bob, Dot, and so when all the players run to the outer wall and manage to get out before the cube shrinks and implodes. Meanwhile, at the tour, Hack and Slash hold up an enormous bomb in front of Megabyte, stating that Hex claimed she already had one. It explodes in a column of fire, blowing the top of the tour off. So, Dan, what do you think of this episode? Uh, it was pretty good. It was the first appearance of Hexadecimal and Lost Angles and the Knolls and her pet mouse thing, Scuzzy. It, it was a pretty solid episode. It, it was fun. It was action-packed. Got to meet the other crazy villain. Um, pretty solid episode. I thought so. There's a lot of cool, fun um, references. I think Hexadecimal is going to be a fantastic uh, villain. She just comes off as this crazy, lunatic, I might even say chaos-oriented person. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I definitely want to see more Hexadecimal. I love Megabyte. He's the villain of villains, but uh, I think Hexadecimal is going to be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a couple of notes for this episode. Um, the When the episode starts, you can see a sign in the background that says Broadway, clearly a reference to Broadway. Um, that comes back in later episodes, too. Absolutely. And... Um, I noticed something about the pop-up vid windows. You know, they just really reminded me of the early 90s pop-ups. Like, I don't know if that's what they were going for. I mean, I'm sure they were. But um, it's just it was just crazy flashback when, you know, you couldn't go anywhere without pop-ups everywhere. So I thought that was kind of a nostalgic add-in. It just was pretty cool, I think. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Some of the cool slang for this episode was uh, I was written for this format. I think it was Bob says that, maybe Enzo. The gnolls are interesting. They're just weird little worm things that don't seem to do a lot. Yeah, well, is null is that some kind of computer jargon that I don't know? Um, it, it's pretty much just nothing. I I mean, I don't know if it has a specific computer term. Okay. Yeah, and Enzo has his fun line. Yeah, I think he says, uh, if only I copy and paste the truth in the first place at the end after everything's okay. Yeah. I just kind of end up adding just an ever-persistent um, uh, source of awesome computer jargon slang type references. It's great. He, yeah, he's pretty hilarious. Another random quote was like, uh, Bob's like, looks like Formula One. Good thing we know the formula. <laughs> Which, of course, isn't like a great computer like a slang and it's just the, the the dry humor of this show right it's pretty much summed up into one phrase there 
Yep, that pretty much just explains everything that's wrong about this show. And, <laughs> you know, it's so wrong that it's just hilarious. No, I, absolutely. I think I can't remember. I believe it was Dot uh, was telling Enzo to compile up, you know, yeah. instead of grow up. I thought that was great. Don't quit file so easily. Yes, yes, that was perfect. <laughs> um, I love the the Star Trek Jean Luc reference. I'm a bit of a Trekkie, so that was fantastic. Oh yeah, at the beginning, a guy named Jean Luc calls. Uh, yes, I mean it's pretty subtle, but it was there. He's actually hiding in the jukebox in a later episode. Is he? I it's didn't even see. So I, random. I <laughs> but again, fits into this type of oh, show. Yeah. Oh, one thing I have a question about that I didn't quite understand is why is there a delivery service when you can just put things through vid windows? That's a good question. <laughs> because um, Megabyte just delivered the bomb slash mask through the vid window to Enzo. So I was just like, why is there a delivery service? It doesn't make sense. Because otherwise there wouldn't be this episode? I, that's the oh, only explanation I've got. Um. <laughs> that's true. That's probably the only one they have. Yeah. So what did you think of Hexadecimal? Uh, this isn't a very uh, telling episode of her insanity, but you kind of get a little bit of it with uh, her interactions with Scuzzy. She's like, gets really pissed at Scuzzy for no reason, but then immediately changes. She's pretty bipolar in this episode. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. My my big note here is Hexadecimal is bipolar. I mean, she is all over the place. But I like the whole mask theme. I mean, it really kind of adds yeah. character, I think, kind of gives it a full circle. Yeah. Here's, and again, I realize this is a kid's show, but it just cracked me up that nobody knew straight off that a mask with a clock on it could be a bomb. No, really? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I've seen enough movies to know that when there's a clock that's counting down, it's probably a bomb. And I think we'll see in later episodes, too, how lucky it is that Megabyte and Hexadecimal fight each other as much as they fight Guardian Bob. If they had teamed up or, you know, not even teamed up, but just focused all their energy on Bob, I mean, there's nothing he could have done, but they fight amongst themselves. So right. That's very lucky. <laughs> exactly. It, it's, yeah, if, just like most movies, if the bad guys actually worked together instead of trying to achieve their own goals, they probably could have won. Right, right, absolutely. With Megabyte's resources and Hex's crazy planning and just insanity, they, they wouldn't have stood a chance. And, I mean, and Megabyte and Hexadecimal themselves are both very powerful, well, I guess... I know Megabyte is a virus. I don't know if Hexadecimal virus as well. Um, I'm not entirely sure. I'm not either, but uh, I think it. I think that. Um, I think that she she is. So they're both very powerful viruses, you know, by themselves. And we'll see Hexad. She didn't really show it in this um, episode, but she'll become pretty powerful as the shows go on, if I remember correctly. Yeah, she is. A virus of incredible power and unpredictable insanity, according to oh, the well, reboot Wikia. No. 
What will you do without Wiki? I know, right? Yeah, I really love how they worked the mask changes into the episode. Like, she'll wave her hand in front of her face and have a different emotion. And it, it's something as easy as that. No, I mean, it was perfect. And her voice really matched with uh, her personality at the time and her mask. I mean, it all really solidified. And she's got those crazy um, tangles in the back, you know, of her dress yeah. or whatever that really adds to the fullness of her character. I, I love it. I mean, she's awesome. Yeah, she's great. Alrighty. Now on to episode three. Concentration is important. <laughs> ah, you have good backspin, my son. You're telling me. Huh? Episode 3 is titled The Quick and the Fed. Original air date is September 24th, 1994. Written by Mark Edens and Lane Reichert. Story by Mark Edens and Ian Pearson. Megabyte has processed a dangerous magnet and is trying to use it to power a magnetic generator to make a hole in the system to access the net and the supercomputer. As the energy beam is activated, Megabyte talks to his pet Null, Nibbles. Fortunately, Bob catches him in the act. A scuffle ensues and Bob takes the magnet away from Megabyte, shielded in protective armor. When he returns to Dot's diner, Enzo inquires what Bob has in the shielding. Bob tells Enzo and everyone in the diner is terrified. Magnus! It's okay. It's shielded. Oh. <laughs> when Bob assures everyone it's shielded, they relax. He notices Enzo admiring Glitch. He removes Glitch from his arm and lets Enzo try it out. Enzo makes Glitch shapeshift into a flashlight, a hammer, and finally a jackhammer. The jackhammer shakes things up so much the magnet's shielding opens and the magnet attaches itself to Dot's forehead. Bob makes Glitch remove the magnet before it does permanent damage. Bob summons a doctor before going to see Fong to find out what can be done about Dot's condition. He finds out that he needs to go to Al's Wait and Eat Cafe on level 31 and access some really, really, really slow food to return Dot to normal. Bob returns to the diner to tell Dot, and she tries to say something, but Bob shushes her, telling her she needs rest. He then heads to Al's diner. Bob finds out there's a long, long waiting line for slow food at Al's. Go figure. Al's waiter is no help in hurrying up the food, and Al himself operates the stove and only runs a three decahertz. Bob is forced to wait, Hack and Slash show up looking for Bob and threaten to thrash the place unless they find him. Bob makes a deal with Al's waiter. He gets rid of Megabyte's goons and gets some slow food in return. Al's waiter agrees, giving him a food package. Bob leaves Al's diner with Hack and Slash chasing him. A GameCube enters the system and Bob hurries inside. Hack and Slash try to follow, but are too slow and smash against the cube's outer wall. The game is Castles and Knights. Bob reboots as a knight. As soon as he reboots, he hears Dot's voice calling for help. He grabs a dragon and heads for the castle. After the dragon jousts with the user, he enters the castle, defeats a skull warrior, and runs up to the tallest tower to find Enzo in a damsel dress. Dot, seemingly cured, is busy trying to hack the user to pieces 
Too surprised to ask questions. Bob helps. Finally, the user is defeated when Enzo throws his megaphone at it and knocks him out the window. The game leaves, but Megabyte, Hack, and Slash are waiting for them. Megabyte complains that it took him a lot of time and effort to acquire the magnet, requesting it to be returned. Bob has glitched, throw it at Megabyte, and it drains him of energy. He falls off the city level. Hack and Slash jump after him. Bob finds out that Doc got a cure because Al is a partner of hers. She hints that she owns more of Mainframe than anyone can possibly know. So, Joey, what were your thoughts on this episode? I thought it was pretty good. Um, it really started getting into what I think the later episodes are going to be more or less like, you know, which just Megabyte coming up with a scheme and Bob and company. So it was very reminiscent, and I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought the game looked really cool, uh, cooler than the other ones. There was a lot of scenery in the Castle of the Knights, so that was pretty awesome. And uh, just a couple little cool things that I think we'll get to. I pretty much enjoyed this episode. What about you, Dan? Yeah, I liked it pretty good. Um, it's kind of boring at first because they're trying to find slow food, which, what is slow food? I don't even understand. But, you know. I mean, you could tell me. Yeah. It picks up after, uh, once he gets the slow food and get, heads up back on the way, or heads back to the diner. And, you know, the game as usual is fun. And, of course, we get the introduction to another character, Nibbles. Yep. We haven't seen him yet. I know. I mean, it's always the big mega villain has to have some kind of cat-like entity. I don't know what it does, if it just humanizes the person or what, but everybody has that kind of cat or bunny or something. Yeah, it started with, uh, I think his name's Blowfield in the James Bond franchise. And ever Was since he the then, first it's been that? first that I know of. I'm, there might have been a n- one before then, but definitely not as well known as Blowfield. And then, yeah, I mean, of course, as well. Doctor Evil and oh, sure. the Awesome Powers <laughs> is a blatant parody of that character to begin with. So, of course, he has to have Mister Bigglesworth. Right, of course. Um, I thought it was pretty cool how, uh, I don't believe we'd seen it yet, but how Megabyte inserts himself into the chair and his legs are separate. Did you notice that? Yeah. I don't, yeah. I it was pretty cool. Yeah. That was definitely interesting. I don't know what it does, but then you see him put on his legs when he chases after Bob when he's stealing the magnet. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's again. Uh, I don't understand why reboot constantly brings up this in my head. But again, it reminds me of um, of a you know Star Trek. The Borg Queen does that. She can insert her upper body into the Borg hive, and then when she needs to have legs, she can pop it into into legs. So I thought that was pretty cool. Gotcha. A couple of notes. Everyone freaking out in response to the magnet. That's pretty hilarious because you know magnets kind of can easily erase a hard drive if they're strong enough or close enough absolutely Um, but you know back when this aired that probably wasn't common knowledge which is interesting um another random reference fong is wearing a shirt that has two dragons on it and uh the guy who voiced fong was also a voice of I think Billy in Double Dragon, the other early kids cartoon. Oh, 
I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah, I was looking that up the other day and saw, found that. I was like, oh, hey, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, no, I used to watch that. Um, yeah, when Bob takes a number, uh, the card says one billion, which is binary for the number that they say, which is forty ninety six, I believe. I'm just gonna take your word on that. <laughs> Um, what uh, what is a decahertz? They mentioned that in here. I'd, I'd never heard of a decahertz. Do you know? Uh, decahertz is a slower version of megahertz. Most things okay. run it. Um, at, yeah, I have here that in 1993, the Pentium processor came out, which ran at 60 megahertz, which is like 2 million times faster than 3 decahertz. Deca is the prefix for 10 so sure. it would go hertz, decahertz, blah, 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 blah. And megahertz is like a right. million, I think. Gotcha. Okay, that works. You, I think you'll enjoy this note. Um, and when Bob is in Al's uh, foodery, whatever it's called, there's a guy wearing a toque, and it has the word toque on it, which is a Canadian beanie, if you That's will. That's fantastic. I can't believe I missed that. Yeah, he comes back in a later episode too. I notice, so I guess that's oh, well, a first appearance of Tuke guy. That's awesome. Um, in case anyone here needs to know that, um, <laughs> I was actually born in Canada, so I get made fun of a lot for being Canadian. So if there's any Canadians out there, you know, please help defend me here. But that's pretty awesome that he has a Tuke. Uh, oh God, I love Tukes. <laughs> and then I've got one more note that's. Uh, in the Castles and Knights game, the tower has a bed with the word Rosebud engraved on it, which yes. uh, is an obvious nod to the arguably greatest film of all time, which is Citizen Kane. Right, which I thought was cool. Yeah, the big MacGuffin of that film is the word Rosebud. They're trying to figure out what the word Rosebud means. That's just awesome, though. I mean, reboot is can pull in references from so many different things. I mean, obviously from computer, computer jargon, we've seen one or two Star Trek things. And of course, Citizen Kane, what do they have all together? What do they have together? Uh, what do they have in common? Nothing, except Reboot can do it all. And I just love it. Yep. But uh, what the notes that I had, I mean, of course, it was pretty obvious, but I really enjoyed the 789 joke. Yeah. Um, that used to be a favorite of mine back in the day. <laughs> Um, a couple cool references you know they're talking about Dot her, her being sick and uh, I think it was again Enzo saying that uh, you know she's at the prime of her input output you know <laughs> prime of her life that was fantastic um, you know instead of speak in plain English it was speak in plain DOS which of course in 2012 we don't deal with DOS at all I mean that was an com old computer program but um it, it's still pretty funny. I thought the game was pretty awesome in general. Um, you know, again, just the scenery was fantastic. The knights are pretty cool. That was one cocky skeleton, though. I mean, he was pretty <laughs> cocky the way that... <laughs> I mean, he's got no muscles, but he thinks he can do stuff. Whatever. Um, and I thought it was kind of cheap of Bob using Glitch to defeat the skeleton. Yeah. I mean, what is Bob Glitch, honestly? Just another sprite. I guess. But uh, overall, I thought it was pretty good. Um, 
I very much enjoyed all the subtle references that they had, just the magnet and, and, and the rosebud and, uh, reference and everything. But, uh, yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Awesome. What would you say your favorite quote was from this episode? Um, this one hasn't had, didn't have the most amazing quotes. Uh, we've had some better ones in the past, but I'm going to have to go with in plain DOS. Um, just because it's, I mean, looking back at 2012 and the fact that we don't use DOS and that I barely know what DOS is and I'm 22 cracks me up. Yeah, it's a pretty good one. Uh, I think I would have to go with Fong's lesson. He tells them that they need to get the slow food. And then he says, hurry, you don't have all second, you know. <laughs> That's true, because they're all moving at, what are they, they keep saying nanoseconds. Right. I mean, this is not happening in real time. I didn't even think about that. I didn't catch that. Yeah, that comes up a lot in this show, how time is measured in seconds and nanoseconds. And I don't, I don't know if they ever actually say it in minutes. And almost oh, positive, not. not hours, but... It's just interesting to see the time changing. Now, again, I think I brought this up before, but Fong is such an intelligent guy. I don't understand how playing ping pong makes you worthy of his advice. It just doesn't make sense. Uh, I I love ping pong, so (laughs) if I were a wise old man, I would make them play ping pong. Or maybe like Super Smash Brothers in order to get my advice. See, Super Smash Brothers, I could see. I'm all about that. <laughs> Something about ping pong just cracks me up. But it was good. It was good. I liked it. Awesome. Well, that'll uh, wrap up the first three episodes for this podcast. Hello? May I take your order? This is an emergency. I need slow food to go fast. Ha, ha, ha. That's a good one. Hear that, Al? What? Slow food doesn't go fast. That's why it's slow. If you want to order some food, take a number. Four thousand ninety-six. Must be the lunch crowd. Now serving number three. Now we're going to talk about scoring for these episodes. Go back to episode one, the tearing. Joey, what would you give this one? You know, when you start a series, especially a show like Reboot that wasn't even really intended to be a series in the first place, it was just kind of an experiment, it's really difficult. You've got to introduce a lot of characters the audience doesn't know, um, you know, the characters yet, so you can't take anything, you know, you can't assume anything. The audience can pick up stuff, so you have to treat them like they're an idiot. And so it's very difficult to do a pilot. Um, but I thought overall the tearing was a pretty good episode. I mean, it, it really kind of solidified most of the characters um, from the get-go. Uh, so I'm going to – we do this on a scale of 1 to 10 – Ten being the best and one being the worst, and I would give this oh uh, probably seven solid stars. Yeah, I agree. It's it's a very solid pilot. 
to a TV show. Um, introduce the feel of the show. Introduce the jokes, the the characters, kind of the where the show's gonna go. Um, I'd I'd probably give it an eight. But I mean, I, I think we mostly agree on that. Yeah, it was very good. All right, Dan, we're gonna move on to season one, episode two, racing the clock. What did you think of that episode? Uh, it was pretty good. Another solid episode. Um, introduction of Hexadecimal, the awesome, crazy antagonist. So yeah, I think we're. I'd probably give this one seven Hexadecimal masks. All right, I like that. Um, I'm going to move. All right, I like that very much. Uh, I mentioned before that I really like Hexadecimal. I think she really makes the show. So just for the introduction of Hexadecimal, I have to give this a uh, an eight star at least. Uh, it was a good solid episode. You know, we learned, again, another introduction to a good character. Uh, and it just kind of advanced our understanding of the existing characters. So, yeah, absolutely. Very good. All righty. And then season one, episode three, The Quick and the Fed. Uh, I think we'll rate this one in skeletons. Ooh, very good. So, so Joey, what do you think of Quick and the Fed? I love how every, of all the three episodes, every character, excuse me, out of all the three episodes, all three have introduced a new character. So again, three introduces Nibbles, not that that's a big character, but it kind of rounds out. He's um, around for a while, so I can say he's a big character. Yeah, I mean, he stays around, he stays around. Um, But yeah, no, it was very good. I, I enjoyed it. It just started off a little slow for me, but it really picked up. There's a couple good jargons, you know, a couple corny jokes. Uh, I'm going to give it just a, uh, I'm going to give it a six. It's just, or excuse me, I'm going to give it a six skeleton, which is just above average. Yeah, I would agree with you that it's a fun episode. Um, there's not a ton to say about it. It's not overwhelming in any, in any aspects. I'd say just for, um, Enzo being in the damsel in distress dress. I, I'll give this a <laughs> six as well. And I think the dress pushes it up to a seven. I'll give it a seven. A seven. seven skeletons. Seven skeletons. skeletons. Yeah. All right. Well, that ends it for today. You know, please tune in. We got another episode coming out with episode four, five, and six, which would be uh, Medusa's bug the tiff and belly the beast couple good episodes so uh stay tuned with us yeah and uh if you want to leave us some feedback you could do that on itunes uh we've got a facebook page just search for mainframe chronicle there we have a twitter at mf chronicle uh email is mainframe chronicle at gmail.com you can find us at our website which is mainframe chronicle.podbean.com you know, we appreciate any and all feedback. You know, we want to make this the best review show of Reboot on the Internet. So, you know, please let us know. Yeah, if there's something you guys like, let let us know. If there's something you don't like, let us know. If you just outright hate everything, probably keep that to yourself. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah that's that'll do it for this episode uh any last thoughts joey no again just keep with us we'll see you next week stay frosty I feel extremely close you know, to I was you. Gonna say this and there's something thing. I should tell you, you before we like before we hit rock bottom. What? Ah, oh, it's too late. They're not even close to Al's. Nope. Not even. Speaking of which, Doc, is there anything in mainframe you don't own? Maybe. Who wants to know?